Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. A bittersweet day today, isn't it, Kate? Yes, today is the last episode of season one. This year was nothing short of an adventure for many reasons, but I just want to express my deep gratitude to you, Kristen, and to Shelby, KT, Tamed Wild, and to all of our listeners. I will happily second all of that. Kate, working with you has been such a joy. I could not have asked for a better partner to chat with about witchcraft and all things magical and mystical. And also a big thank you to Shelby, Tamed Wild, our amazing editor, KT, everyone at Magic and Alchemy, and our smart, loyal listeners. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. It has been an honor. I don't know if it's this full moon eclipse or your kind words or what, but I'm just getting weepy. (laughs) Help. (laughs) In talking about magic together, it has in turn brought more magic to my life, which is no surprise, but one of those beautiful synchronicities and a reminder that magic is very real and happening all the time in the most mundane and fantastical ways. I feel like we're saying goodbye, but in reality, it's more of a see you later because even though Kate and I will be taking a break over the next three months and won't have weekly episodes, we will be back with special Sabbath and Moon-themed episodes in July and August. And then we'll be back in September, just in time for Maybon, Samhain, and the Season of the Witch. But first, we're going to answer a listener question and chat about Summer Solstice and the upcoming Sabbath, Litha. So this question is from Anne. Uh, what goddesses are most closely associated with the Summer Solstice? Thank you, Anne. Uh, Kristen, who do you associate most with summer solstice time? There are so many wonderful solar goddesses. Um, Off the top of my head, I'm thinking Hathor, and truthfully, any mother goddess. But personally, during the summer months, I will work with Athena, who is someone I was so resistant to working with mainly because of how she's portrayed in stories. Mm -hmm. She can be a bully and carries a lot of (laughs) Zeus energy, but in some ways I feel like I can relate to Athena as a woman trying to figure out how to succeed in a patriarchal era. She has that action-driven mentality that mirrors the energy of the solstice, so it feels right. What about you? Ooh, we love that perspective on Athena. Thank you. But um, in the Welcome to June article on magic and alchemy, I wrote a little bit about Amaterasu, and she is a new goddess to me, but I just love how the language I found about her online just really embodied the sun and its disposition. I also usually think of the sun as more masculine, 
um, which may be more because Lou, like we've spoken about, or the Oak King. But Amaterasu is a Shinto goddess of the sun, and she's honored in Japan every summer and has been called the goddess from which all light comes. You will know her for her compassion, her warmth, and her kindness. And I know that we talked about Gaia a little bit with Shelby the other week, but I just love working with her and that earth energy around summer solstice. Usually, I'm also trying to be around water as much as possible at that time, so water nymphs or the fae are always a favorite energy to work with during solstice. Yeah, there's always that balance between the sun and water right now. So water goddesses like Aphrodite, maybe even Circe might be a good choice. Yeah, definitely. And okay, one more question from Tabby. Uh, Tabby asked for rituals, ideas, and traditional treat suggestions. So are there any baked goods or treats that come to mind for summer solstice? So many. Um, Maybe not traditional, but gardening and cooking outdoors is really popular here. There are so many little parks with barbecues and stone ovens that anyone can use, and we really enjoy using them to practice our pizza-making skills, which may not sound witchy, but I like to make my own dough and pizza sauce and cover my pizza in all the herbs. You know, basil, thyme, oregano, whatever else I can find. Eating and resting outdoors, even if it's not pizza making, but something simple like a picnic with some hibiscus and lemon verbena tea, is such a simple way to appreciate the season and all the good plant medicine that comes with it. I love hibiscus iced tea, and pizza is definitely one of my favorites. The first thing that came to my mind about this was honey, and there's so much folklore around bees, which I know we've touched on before, and I believe you did a piece on magic and alchemy, the blog, about. Yeah, I think it's titled Telling the Bees, so if you need more of an excuse to converse with wildlife, check it out. Absolutely. So today we are talking about Litha, also known as Midsummer and the Summer Solstice. For anyone who needs a refresher, during the Summer Solstice, which takes place the moment the sun enters Cancer, usually June 21st or June 22nd in the Northern Hemisphere, the sun has reached its zenith. Love Summer Solstice time. Yes, and it's probably no surprise that according to the Celtic tree calendar, June is the month of the oak. According to pagan lore, this is the day that the Oak King and the Holly King engage in their semi-annual battle, with the Holly King winning this round. He will reign supreme from Litha until Yule, when they will battle again, passing the torch back to the Oak King. A side note on Oak really quick, we talked a bunch about the magical properties of Oak in an earlier episode if you want to dive more into Oak's lore. Yeah, I think that was episode 21, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So this means, believe it or not, that the day after midsummer, the sun begins to lose its strength. But fear not, because it won't feel that way for quite some time. Where I used to live in California, and even now where I live in the Azores, July and August, and even sometimes September, are the warmest months so we will likely still be feeling the sun's influence for quite some time. The days surrounding midsummer are believed to be some of the best days for gathering sacred plants. 
herbs and flowers picked during midsummer are said to create potent plant magic. So if you're into plant alchemy, this is your Sabbath. Seems like a really stunning day to do some flower essences, so maybe I'll put up a little guide uh, to exploring essences for those that are interested. Yes, please do. And like all Sabbaths, Midsummer is a fire festival, perhaps one of the largest. When I think of the summer solstice, I imagine witches in white dresses dancing around a bonfire. I think of a full moon ritual in the dead of night when the air is still warm. I think of the Fae. I think of solar deities like Lu, who I mentioned briefly in our last episode, and we'll probably talk more about in our next episode dedicated to Lunaza. I also think of the more masculine, action-driven solar goddesses like Athena. But more than anything, I think of dolmens and standing stones. Mm. I'm sure most of us are familiar with Stonehenge, the UNESCO World Heritage Site and prehistoric monument in England that historians believe was constructed sometime around 5,000 years ago. Stonehenge is famous for many reasons, but I think the size of the stones is likely what captures our attention, at least initially. Each of these vertical stones stands about 13 feet high, 7 feet wide, and weighs somewhere around 25 tons. If that's not impressive enough, there are larger stones called sarsens. What makes Stonehenge even more interesting is that nobody really knows how these stones got there, but that's a story for another day. When I saw them at 12 years old, I was just beyond excited by the unknown origin story and honestly still am. Yeah, and can you imagine seeing them now as you've <laughs> only gotten more witchy and weird with age, which I say with all the love. Yes. <laughs> Stonehenge is on my bucket list, so universe, goddess, higher self, if you're listening, let's get on that. <laughs> Some scholars believe that Stonehenge was constructed as a form of timekeeping, or as an ancient calendar, a way to mark the arrival of the solstices. Interestingly enough, NASA has listed Stonehenge as one of the five oldest observatories in the world. Modern pagans, druids, witches, and the earth-spirited will often meet at Stonehenge during sacred dates like eclipses, equinoxes, and also the summer solstice. Unlike other dolmens and standing stones throughout the world, where the sun might line up at a certain time, usually at dawn or the height of the solstice, at Stonehenge, during midsummer, the sun's path is highlighted at sunrise, noon, and sunset. While there's a very good chance that Stonehenge is the most well-known location to view standing stones, these megalithic structures appear throughout the world. In Scotland, in the village of Callanish, there is a mighty impressive stone circle and avenue of stones that more and more people are flocking to during summer solstice, probably hoping to avoid the crowds at Stonehenge. Like most standing stones, nobody can definitely say how these stones got here and what their purpose was, but the Callanish stones have some interesting stories attached to them. One says that the stones are actually petrified giants, mm -hmm. once kind beings who were turned to stone as punishment for rejecting Christianity. According to another local legend, people go to these stones hoping to see the Shining One. While I couldn't figure out who exactly the Shining One refers to, I will assume that it is a deity or sacred being. 
But supposedly at dawn of the solstice, the Shining One walks up the avenue of stones. And fun fact, these stones are so impressive that they were visited by Pixar Studios while planning the movie Brave. Love Brave. Same. And in 2019, when Spain was experiencing a massive drought, the water level in Valdecaña's reservoir dropped so low that it exposed what's now referred to as the Dolmen of Guadalajara. This dolmen is believed to be 7,000 years old, about 2,000 years older than Stonehenge. It consists of 106 foot tall standing stones arranged in an oval. According to an article that I found on Atlas Obscura, it's believed that this site was used for ceremonies and burying the dead. The article says, quote, People would have entered through a dark, narrow hallway adorned with engravings and other decorations, probably carrying a torch. This would lead to an access portal into the more spacious main chamber, which had a diameter of about 16 feet, where the dead would be laid to rest. It's also likely that the monument was oriented around the summer solstice, allowing, for just a few moments a year, the sun to shine on the community's ancestors. End quote. And while not standing stones per se, in Egypt during the summer solstice, when the sun sets, the light aligns with the point exactly in the center of the two largest pyramids. I found a passage in a book called Midsummer Rituals, Recipes, and Lore for Litha that says, quote, At the Osirian Temple at Abydos, believed for centuries to be the burial place for the god Osiris. The sun shines through a gap in the nearby Libyan hills and strikes the temple walls on the day of midsummer. Also in Egypt is the Essene Monastery, home to the mystical Jewish sect that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Essenes followed a solar calendar rather than the traditional Jewish lunar calendar. The monastery was designed to highlight the setting sun on the summer solstice. At Nabta Playa, in the midst of the Egyptian desert, a set of stone megaliths bearing an amazing resemblance to Stonehenge have been shown to align not only with the summer solstice, but also a number of stars, including Sirius, the brightest stars in Orion's belt. End quote. We see so many cultures, including ours, celebrating the solstices and the cosmos in general, which makes me think of another listener question we got recently from Jennifer which was, why would we want to celebrate the height of the sun? Why is maximum light something that society wants to recognize? And of course, anything we say is just going to be one theory, but what do you think, Kate? I really loved this question because it's just like in the winter when darkness is the thing to celebrate. Like, I think that there are moments in time for for each celebration. And on the wheel of the year, all elements have their moment and their balance. So to me, it's not why is the most daylight something to celebrate, but more like, wow, aren't cycles something to celebrate? Um, Kristen, what is it about daylight that excites you at the summer solstice? I like what you just said about cycles and balance. I think that's so important. Um, but for me, this year, truthfully, I just want to celebrate the warmth. 
I love winter time, but my body does not. Mm. And so when the solstice comes around, um, I really start to feel like a plant or a flower and all I want is just to feed off of the sun. Yes. Yeah. You know, echoing your words about nature, stone structures, and summer, I've just been thinking about spirals so much lately in my work. And this is in part because of the conversation that we had about the spiral dance with Caitlin a few episodes ago, and also because a good friend Rachel recently received a book about spirals and was sharing some imagery with me. I was thinking about the way in which we gather and cast circles, spiraling open and then reversing the spiral to close the circle, like we spoke about in our episode about as above, so below. In the spiral dance, Starhawk talks about a ritual of the spiral at the solstice, saying, This is the time of the rose, blossom and thorn, fragrance and blood. Now, on this longest day, light triumphs and yet begins the decline into dark. The sun king, grown, embraces the queen of summer in that love that is death because it is so complete that all dissolves into the single song of ecstasy that moves worlds. So, the lord of light dies to himself and sets sail across dark seas of time, searching for the isle of light that is rebirth. We turn at the wheel and share his fate, for we have planted the seeds of our own changes, and to grow we must accept even the passing of the sun. Purify, cast the circle, and invoke the goddess and god. Dance the spiral dance, singing. Around the summer solstice, I always feel my own spiral of energy inside of myself just a little bit more than usual. There is a sort of electricity in the air that I can kind of remember my hair standing straight on its ends in a field of fireflies under the massive oak trees at my grandparents' house. This spiral, like a serpent wrapped around the Orphic egg, is a symbol of being both bound and free at the same time. It's a symbol of our own inner life force and creativity, and like you were saying, Kristen, The summer solstice is a perfect time for the earth-spirited to celebrate. The earth is buzzing with heat and life. Nights are longer, the sun is at its utmost potential, and though the strength of the sun begins to fade just after this pinnacle, we won't feel it for a long while. I found a great piece on spirals as they occur in nature, written by Sam Wolfe, reminding me that spirals are found in an abundance of places in nature. For example, there is the DNA double helix, sunflowers, the path of draining water, weather patterns, vine tendrils, the arrangement of leaves on a plant stem, galaxies, horns, mollusk shells, the nautilus, snails, whirlpools, ferns, and algae. Look at a cross-section of red cabbage and you will see spirals. Look at your fingertip where you would make a fingerprint and you will see a spiral. So yes, spirals occur naturally, but they've also been crafted by people as a symbol of sacredness, much like standing stones. The article goes on explaining a few of the most famed examples. There's a spiral used in the architecture of the Vatican's museum. There's a spiral within the Great Mosque of Samara. 
And also, the triple spiral is a pre-Celtic and Celtic symbol found on a number of Irish Neolithic sites, most notably inside the Newgrange Passage Tomb in County Meath, Ireland. Some suggest that the spiral here represents the cycle of rebirth, while others think it is a symbol of the mother goddess. Spirals are also found throughout pre-Columbian art in Latin America and Central America, and the spiral is an ancient symbol for growth and evolution. I'm also reminded of the spiritual practice of walking the labyrinth. Is this something you've ever done, Kristen? Not intentionally, but maybe a ritual I should consider for midsummer. Building one on your land would be very exciting. Yes. <laughs> a labyrinth is usually sort of a spiral of stones laid out on the ground in a pathway. So you can walk the path meditatively to spend time in nature and in contemplation. Labyrinth images are found in many cultures, and the term is of ancient Greek origin and the labyrinth in the palace of Knossos in Greek mythology. Labyrinths are also found in Hindu and Hopi imagery, and of course in Greek mythology. Theseus rescued himself out of the labyrinth of the Minotaur by following a red thread given to him by Ariadne. I can think of no better time to honor the spiral of growth, change, and burgeoning energy than around the summer solstice. Where can you notice these occurrences in your own life, and what might they suggest to you in your own practice? Kate, how will you be spending midsummer and the solstice? Great question. Um, I'm going to be at home in Michigan, and there are some mighty oaks on my grandparents' land, so I may sit with them a bit, unless I'm in northern Michigan, and then maybe some sort of fire on the edge of the lake, or my own sort of spiral dance. I've been playing with flower crown poetry as a form to make crowns of language for the Sabbaths, and that's been a lot of fun, and could be cool to try the same thing with a spiral as a form. So some great options. I'm really excited. What about you? I love all of your ideas, and I just recently discovered a megalithic dolmen here on my island, which is something I've been hearing rumors about for a while, but haven't been able to figure out the exact location until recently. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking maybe taking the short hike to the dolmen, leaving an offering for the spirits who reside there, and then just seeing where the rest of the day takes me. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. This is the final weekly episode in season one, but we will be back in July for a special Lunaza episode. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>